From the high desert in Far East West Texas, this is the world's fastest growing sports media podcast with that sports TV rating. Hi, I'm Robert Seidman. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, there's a very special guest on the High Desert Hotline for this episode. It's Jim Miller. And you might know him as the best-selling author, James Andrew Miller, of uh, books on Saturday Night Live, ESPN, NCAA, excuse me, CAA, and more recently as the creator of the Origins with James Andrew Miller podcast series. Jim, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, so a lot, a lot going on this week in the uh, in the sports media world. So I figure might as well just jump in quickly. Uh, I saw yesterday that uh, that uh, Richard Deitch wrote a report that uh, that Katie Nolan is seeking an early exit from uh, from Fox Sports One, and I uh, just wondered if you had any insight on how you see that playing out. Uh, well, I mean, you know, uh, that's something that we've been talking about and hearing about and tweeting about for many months, not to take anything away from Richard, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it is, uh, a fait accompli basically. I mean, uh, the papers are not signed, but, uh, ESPN has been after for quite a while and, uh, Fox uh, is not going to be able to hold on to her. Yeah. So I, I talked to uh, Jimmy train a little bit about this yesterday and, uh, and uh, he he was he was talking about how he hoped really like that she wouldn't get slotted into a specific show like uh, say Sports Nation, uh, but would instead like get into the uh, into the rotation of uh, Eric Rideholm shows. Do, do you do you have any idea how you think that'll play out? Well, it's an interesting question because you know Katie Nolan. I mean, just as a case study, so she's enormously talented and. She had quite a bit of traction, and yet, at the same time, her detractors will say, well, the numbers were never great, but then you think, was that the right vehicle, and uh, was the show marketed properly? But the truth is that she disappeared for a while, so the question of what she's going to do when she returns uh, to, you know, kind of being on the air regularly is a big one. I... um, my understanding of my sources, which I believe tell me that uh, she was asked to be part of the Mike Greenberg show. And, wow. uh, and she uh, declined to be wow. a permanent fixture on that. Um, and I believe, you know, now they may, ESPN may say, well, we didn't really want her to be a permanent fixture. Uh, but let's just put it this way. She's not going to be a permanent fixture. And I think that's a wise move on her part. Uh, that does beg the question of what she's going to do. And look, anytime, if you're talent, anytime you can be within shouting distance of Eric Rideholm, um, it's a good thing. He's, you know, he's, he's beyond wicked smart and he is uh, so talented. And I think that you know, the, she needs to surround herself with, with great producers and really brand herself in a in a kind of a new way i mean she has her she has so many skills and she's got a particular sensibility but you know how does that manifest itself on the air and so it'll be very interesting to uh you know to see what what they what they do with her yeah, so so do you have any sense of uh you know do do her own show versus do a little bit of this do a little bit of that or or, or are you as in the dark as i am 
Well, I mean, uh, look, I think that the part of it is still being worked out, but I think that the big question was, at least the way I looked at it, was was she going to be part of this uh, greeny show? And right. uh, while she may be making occasional appearances on it, I think that uh, the fact that she's not going to be going to ESPN just to be a uh, role player on that show is a uh, you know, is a is a big deal, and I think it's an a, I think it's an important uh, smart decision uh, on on her on her part. Uh, you know, Jalen and Michelle, Jalen Rose and Michelle Beadle are going to be part of it, right? And uh, and you got Greeny, and uh, you know, those three will take up a lot of oxygen, and uh, you know, it still remains to be seen um, how that will all shake itself out. Um, I think that, um, not to get off Katie for a moment, but I think it's really, really interesting to watch this Greenberg show be put together because, well, probably for three reasons. Are you interested in talking uh, about Absolutely, things? absolutely. So I think there's three reasons. One is it's a huge commitment of money. Um, you know, Greenie is uh, more than a $6 million man at ESPN, and if you start combining... Um, Michelle and Jalen, that's um, that's a significant amount of salary alone that's going into a show. The second thing is that you have Connor Shell, who's basically the contents are over there now, and it's a window into his impressionistic mind. So we're gonna we're gonna really start to get a deeper understanding of the kind of programming that Connor wants to preside over and what they can come up with. And the third thing is just in terms of the business and sports media, you have a three hour show uh, in 2017. What does that mean? What is, what is ESPN's thought on what the audience wants? Or maybe they're not even going to focus on what the audience wants. They're going to put out what they want and, hope and expect that the audience will follow. Um, there are not a lot of absolutes. There are not a lot of certainties right now um, in the media marketplace, which I find to be incredibly exciting. Um, as much as everybody laments, you know, a lot of things that are going on, I, I, think, it's a, I think it's an incredibly dynamic time, and uh, just because of all the disruption. Yeah, that's it. Um, sorry, go ahead. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm very fascinated. Even if you don't... Even if you don't like Mike Greenberg, you know, if you're just interested in sports television and the media business and, uh, you know, programming in general, what does a behemoth like ESPN think that um, they should be doing for three hours uh, on a show that debuts in, uh, you know, um, around these times? So it's, it'll be uh, – I'm very curious about it. Yeah, that's a really good perspective because, you know, I usually kind of come at these things from, uh, well, how, how big of a deal, even with all that money, is it really if, you know, 15 minutes of carriage fees in a, you know, even in a beaten down, somewhat uh, already disrupted uh, television economy, we'll, we'll, we'll pay for all that stuff. Uh, but I, but I, I see where you're coming from on that. And, and, and it's, it's really good for me to get that perspective. And uh, kind of... It's also kinda... pretty... I'm, oh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but it's also very complicated because... I don't think people realize that. So you have Jalen and Michelle being part of the show, but 
isn't it true that the NBA Countdown show is done out of L.A.? Yeah. And Greeny's going to be done in New York? Yeah. And so uh, my sources tell me now I have not talked uh, directly to uh, Nick Kahn, their Jalen and Michelle's agent at um, CAA, but uh, I believe this guy is, uh, you know, pulling a, uh, a rabbit out of his hat and is going to uh, have the NBA countdown show moved to New York for next year. Ah, yeah, and, see, that uh, makes more sense. So the one thing that, that just really didn't make sense to me was that I view very strongly sort of the uh, the NBA as a as an ascending property on uh, on ABC and ESPN right now. And I, I just couldn't fathom, like, why would you want to screw with that? But if, if, if in fact, they won't actually be screwing with it, uh, then it makes a lot more sense. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, look, my my hat's off to Nick, if he can pull this off, and I believe... Uh, you know, uh, other sources tell me that that has been done. So wow. if that's true, then that means that you have ESPN saying that they're going to um, do it, and that's fine because they, they're incentivized because uh, they want them on Greeny. But that also means that the NBA, which has a say in these things, um, has bought into it. Right. So, um, you know, I mean, it's not insignificant. And um, it shows the... I think the commitment both on ESPN's part and then obviously to the degree that the league is going along with it, um, the league, um, in terms of, you know, helping the screening show. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's really just very interesting. And, uh, the, the, the New York, the New York aspect of this, uh, the, the complications you talk of there, if they, if they can pull that off, uh, that, that's a really big story. I will be rushing to edit this podcast faster than I've ever edited a podcast so I can beat uh, THR to this story, I think. <laughs> uh, okay, so, so kind of staying on a similar theme of uh, dragging it back a little bit to, to Katie Nolan. Uh, we talked about this a little bit offline. If you're, if you're up for giving me a little bit of, of psychotherapy, I, I am not a, a Katie Nolan de, uh, detractor. Um, but I'm not sure that like when I look at the landscape of, uh, of sports media general coverage uh, and when I look at the lay of the land, uh, I feel sort of very out of sync because like it feels to me like uh, Katie gets and, and this is even outside of, uh, of, of her contract uh, being up, you know, and and, you know, what's going to happen next. It seemed to me like, you know, for. Uh, for every, you know, for every 20 Katie stories, there was maybe like one story on uh, Mina Kimes and Bomani Jones, uh, who are on shows or, or that actually rate pretty well. Uh, and so I, I'm just like trying to get an idea of like, how does the how does the media landscape line up in ways where I wind up so out of odds thinking that I'm like, I'm not I'm not looking at the same stuff everybody else is. Well, you know, it's an interesting point, And it's what I referred to earlier in terms of you know, her distract, detractors, uh, you know, have that line. I, I think, I mean, ex- excuse this metaphor for a second, but I think that if we look at uh, the sports media, particularly on television landscape, instead of thinking it as like uh, a flavor, you know, if you view it as Baskin-Robbins and there's 31 flavors, right. I mean, what, what these networks are doing is they're throwing a lot out there and – they're trying to get people to be attracted to, if they're not attracted to this, then they're attracted to this. And if they're, you know, if they're not going to keep their channel on, you know, FS1 or NBC or ESPN or something, then 
they're going to try and make appointment television or at least figure out a way to pull you in for certain periods of time. And I think that that is, you know, it's certainly one of the legacies of first take because I think that for everybody at ESPN or actually Deich loves to do his little ratings thing about Paw Patrol. Uh, yeah, or, you know, uh, Skip now over at Fox. But the truth is that those shows, uh, not only do they eat up a lot of tonnage, but they they attract different eyeballs. And so if you, you know, if it's Stephen A. talking in the morning and kids are just, you know, hung over in their dorm rooms <laughs> and keeping it on for three hours and the advertisers know that, then, you know, that's serving, that's serving a, a, a function. Yep. And, um, you know, and that doesn't mean that they can't do Bob Lee because they're doing Stephen A. Smith. And it doesn't mean that they can't do award-winning documentaries because they're, you know, going down a pretty dark road in terms of uh, just, you know, opinion, opinionated television and uh, sports talk. So I, I, I think it's just that, look, ESPN has, what, 80 8,780 8, hours uh, a year to program, yeah. right? So it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, and uh, you just got to figure out different ways to attract an audience. Yeah, I, I agree. So uh, a couple things went on at, uh, at you know ESPN is uh, is, is having uh, having its hands full lately, um, and and it was announced this week uh, some organizational changes. Uh, around uh, Sports Center and the content with uh, uh, with Rob King and Ori Williamson, uh, do do you have any insight on on those changes? What what do you think it means, and uh, and uh, how do you think that'll work out? Well, I mean, look for, for a lot of um, for a lot of people, this is you know in the weeds kind of uh, who cares stuff. But I do think it matters uh, only because um, each of these uh, each you know. ESPN is going through uh, a, a management change, as you said, and each of these people that are now responsible in these areas have, have different takes on it, different approaches. I mean, ultimately, Connor is going to be responsible for making certain decisions, and John Skipper is going to be making uh, even bigger ones. But I think there's two takeaways for me. One is that it's not like it's an announcement filled with so-and-so's coming over from CBS Sports or NBC Sports or Turner Sports, or whatever. Um, once again, we're seeing that the ESPN machine is very comfortable within the ESPN biosphere. Right. And I think that that's just uh, instructive because it's a, you know, sometimes it's hard to get out of that mindset, even if you, know, you're, uh, you, know, you fancy yourself as a, as a bold thinker, somebody who wants to, and there are plenty of people at ESPN who, who do come up with uh, great ideas and and think outside the proverbial Bristol box. But I think it's just interesting that um, through myriad of changes, we're still dealing with ESPNers. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is that um, I think that there are people, look, Stephanie Drooley and Rob King and uh, others are, they've been there, they've been doing, uh, you know, similar jobs. Uh, there's a kind of a different reporting structure now in some cases, but um, we're not, it's, it's not a total revamping of, of responsibility. So I think that, you know, that's, that's something that obviously Connor felt comfortable with. And, uh, 
you know, I know there were people who were thinking uh, things need to be shaken up and people should be, you know, switching areas and getting, breathing new life into different things. But I think that, you know, he's, he's opted for stability and consistency in some ways and is comfortable with, uh, with, you know, the team he's got. So um, I wouldn't expect large scale changes. Um, I mean, obviously they have, they have to make some changes and they have to continue to do everything they can to save the sports center franchise. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, this is not, it's not like one of those times where a company announces uh, executive changes and uh, you think, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen now? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we wind up talking when, when we are talking, cause it's, it's been now like a week or two that the, uh, that the Jamel Hill situation at ESPN has, has kind of calmed down, I think. And I'm just wondering like a, a week or two away from that, uh, do you have any thoughts on the, uh, the Jamel Hill stuff? Um, well, I mean, look, this is, this is a road litter with minefields. So, uh, you know, you, you have to be, um, careful. It's look, it's easy. It's easy to talk about it afterwards. I mean, when you're, when you're going through it, it was, uh, I talked to a lot of people at ESPN during that week. And, uh, I actually wound up tweeting that because a lot of people had said to me, um, boy, this is, uh, except for when, you know, Stuart Scott and John Saunders died, this is like the toughest week. And then other people said, oh, my gosh, you know, since the layoffs, I can't remember a more difficult week. And so I wound up doing a tweet about that. And it was so interesting because uh, I think a lot of people understood that. And I was trying to capture what the mood was inside uh, the company. But I was stunned by how many people on Twitter, and of course, if you, you know, you can find anything you want on Twitter, right? Yeah. But uh, there was like real, almost uh, venomous hatred towards ESPN employees during that week. They were yeah. like, we don't feel sorry for them. Who cares? They should, I mean, it was, it was a level jump because it, it, it had gone from hostility to the four initials to hostility to those who, who worked there. And yeah. I thought that was um, uh, it was it was pretty pretty wild uh, wild stuff. I mean, look, while they were going through it, um, you know, it was a very very difficult thing. And uh, I think that Jamel wrote an interesting column this week with her reflections. In a, I mean, look, in an absolutely perfect world, Jamel by this time understands. Uh, the impact and the import of her, uh, the importance of her, uh, of her public statements, and probably keeps her gun in her holster. In yeah. terms of saying that, only because it's, it's really not about her. I mean, she can absolutely voice her opinion, but if she's going to go down that road, she has to know that there's going to be repercussions, um, you know, for the company and then for her. And I thought she was incredibly articulate in talking about. Um, how she felt about doing that um, to her colleagues in the company. And at the same time, you know, she felt very strongly about what she had written. Um, given that, uh, the, the big question was whether or not Skipper was going to suspend her. And I think that, you know, I think people were shocked that he didn't, particularly given 
I mean, look, you're, you're suspending Bill Simmons without pay yeah. for saying something about Goodell. Um, so what is that? Uh, it's like, okay, you can say what you want about the president, but you yeah. better not touch the NFL commissioner. Um, but I think that, look, um, he, they decided not to, not to suspend her. I think uh, probably um, in retrospect, uh, it's easy for me to say, but maybe if I'm Jamel the day after, I uh, just because I see what it was doing to the company and to the uh, and to my colleagues, I'd probably say, um, you know, I'm going to take myself off the air uh, for a night for a night or two, and uh, I might even, in terms of whether a suspension or pay, she gives herself imposed, and maybe she uh, takes that salary for that day or two or whatever she wants to do and gives it to Hurricane Relief or or whatever cause uh, uh, that she wants to do and, um, and, and, you know, and, and takes control of it herself. But I do think that the, the biggest problem with that episode was the statement that they put out, quote, you know, for her. Yeah. Um, I, I think that once, once they put that statement out, I think that Jamel had um, no choice but to proceed the way she was proceeding because it was just, um, you know, that, that, that was, that, that was a problem. That, that the statement was a problem. And again, I totally understand they're working under pressure yep. and that's what they thought they had to do at the time. And, uh, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not trying to play judge, but I'm just, if you want to be analytical about it, I think that that statement proved to be, you know, the, the absolute, uh, Gladwellian tipping point in terms of, you know, what reactions were possible and uh, what weren't. Yep, I, I, I agree on that. So uh, not, to, not to deliberately try to steer you into the minefield even more, but, you know, even before any of this stuff happened, um, you know, you, within the last few months, I think it was, it was probably May, in May or June on uh, Deitch's podcast, you were the first person I heard say that, you know, you could, you could see a world where a year from then where the, uh, where the Sports Center 6, as it, as it was currently uh, being done, wasn't uh, being done exactly the same way. And I, I'm wondering if, if, if uh, the, the recent events changed that at all or if, if it, that's still the same to you. Well, I think, look, right now, I think the the show is covered in Teflon because if they were to do anything right now, then it looks like a de facto punishment. Yeah. Um, So they can't do that. But listen, you know, this is not, this is not law and order on NBC and it has like a four year contract. Yeah. I mean, part, I mean, they took, they took a big gamble with the sports center franchise. And, you know, when you start, (laughs) when you start promoting, a sports center episode with movie reviews or their takes on other things in the culture. That's a pretty audacious step. And that's fine. You want to, you want to try and do that? That's fine. But I think it's incumbent upon everyone then to look about it, look at it, analyze it, see if it's working, see what the audience is telling you. And, um, you know, very, very well how, uh, numbers can be twisted and yep. we can develop, whatever kind of narrative uh, we want on the reporting side or they want, um, you know, in terms of the public relations side. But I don't think anyone's sitting around thinking that at least from a ratings point of view, uh, SC6 has been a, uh, a triumph. Right. And so, you know, it comes back to 
how does ESPN define success for SC6? If they want SportsCenter on at 6 o'clock, what are they trying to do? Are they trying to broaden the tent that is called SportsCenter? Are they trying to have a specific vehicle that is going to attract um, a different kind of audience or at least a bigger audience? Do they want to just get out of the sports business and get into more of the, you know, attempts at talking about the zeitgeist and talking about uh, things like movies? Maybe. I think it hurts, though, that we don't know what that is, what the right. goal is. Right. Um, and, I, and I, you know, and I've talked to enough people involved with the show, quite frankly, to, to know that sometimes they don't know or that there were mixed messages or, or whatever. And, you know, okay, I get it. Sometimes that happens because it's a very embryonic stage when you're trying to do that. But I think that now at least is the time, put, now that, you know, the uh, episode is starting to, um, you know, kind of be put in the rearview mirror, at least in terms of the intensity of it, to, to, to really say, look, what is, what is the value proposition of SC6? What is its DNA? What are we trying to do? This is how we define success, and we're going to give it six months or nine months, and we're going right. to... And we're going to literally pursue this because if you if you try and do a show where you're like Walter Mondale running for president and just trying to figure out what every audience in front of you wants to hear and you you give a speech trying to win them over, um, you're going to be screwed. You know, I mean, yep. uh, staying in the political realm, you just got to be like you got to be like Margaret Thatcher. You know, this is what I stand for. This is it. Come and come and see me or not. And and you know, hold true to your beliefs. And if you uh, and if you wind up wiping out, then you wipe out. But you know, what's the time frame? What's the you know? In, at least internally, they should know that. Yeah, yeah, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, look, I want to move on and uh, and talk about uh, the Origins podcast series, which is which is a great thing. And uh, this weekend is a good time uh, to binge on the first chapter of the Orange Origins podcast because uh, it's about Curb Your Enthusiasm, which uh, makes its uh, ninth season uh, debut uh, Sunday night. And uh, and in time with that, the, the podcast had actually been out for, for two or three weeks already, I think. But uh, this week, all of the... Uh, all of the individual interviews rolled out as bonus podcasts. So there's a, just a wealth of, uh, of origins material on curb out there. And, uh, I wanted to ask you, Jim, did you, did you go to the curb premiere in, in New York city on Wednesday night? I went to the party. I missed the premiere. I had a dinner that I had to go to, but, um, I went to the party afterwards and, uh, it was great. It was, uh, you know, Larry and the cast were there and, uh, HBO through its typical, wonderful celebration uh for the uh for the new season and i think that you know one of the things that i really love about curb is that nobody's faking it these people these people really like each other these people have known each other for a long time and they're very very happy doing this show i mean you know larry david the fact that i mean look a sad larry david is a happy larry david and uh you know yet at the same time he told me that he he missed doing the show that he gets you know more satisfaction from doing Kirby enthusiasm than anything else so it's kind of um you know um i kind of 
I sometimes say that good news travels slow. And uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to do Curb was because I think it's just a great story. You know, a show that's been around off and on for 17 years. Yeah. And people are still into and people are still liking and, uh, you know, with really good people around it. So, um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a fun party. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about the show coming back. Yeah, one of the great things about the podcast is you you you, you know you talk to so many people, and uh, all of the people have uh, a different relationships with Larry. But I mean, you know, it all comes back to they all love Larry. That that's that was a, a big takeaway uh, from, well, big, from the, the big origin. fake. Yeah, so that's the big fake, right? Because on the on the show, Larry's like very um, antisocial. Do you remember when um, his mother dies and uh, he's just sitting there with Cheryl and uh, she says, "Oh, don't forget we have." Uh, dinner Saturday night with, uh, you know, with, with somebody and, and he goes, Oh, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and he just, she, he says, I, I don't know. Just, just tell him I don't want to do it. You know? And then Cheryl calls them and then she winds up saying, you know, I'm sorry, we can't make it cause uh, Larry's mother dies. And he's looking over at her like, Oh, you mean you can say that as an excuse and it works. And then you cut to Larry basically looking at his calendar for the next month and like, I'm sorry, I can't go to, uh, you know, the bat mitzvah, uh, my mother died. You know, he's just, he's trying to get out of, like, every yep. social obligation he can. And, uh, and you know, he's, he doesn't like to get together with people, and he's always avoiding social things. And in real life, he's this amazing friend. He's incredibly loyal. He gives people uh, jobs, uh, you know, when they, when they need it, if they're going through tough times and in in their career and uh there's been anybody i talked to everybody in that cast um obviously has other things going on in their professional life and yet when i mean ted danson said this and Susie said this and jb said this uh cheryl uh when larry you know when the smoke comes from uh larry david's (laughs) chimney and he says i've decided you know to uh do this thing again everybody stops and what they're doing I mean, Ted Danson said to me, he said, oh, yeah, no, I, 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 you know, as soon as he calls, he's, yes, I'm, that's it. I'm doing it, you know, and I think that says a lot, you know, about him, not only as a person, but as a, you know, the creative genius that he is. And I don't use the word genius loosely. No, no, not at all. So I, I'm really curious for you. Uh, and, and this probably goes for the for the for the books as well. What, what's what's the favorite part for you? Is it is it talking to all the various people? Is it the uh, is it the assembling? Is it the finished product? Well, it's certainly not the writing. I'd rather have root. Kind of, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I think that, uh, you know, look, you get a, you do a lot of you do a lot of interviews and for the ESPN book, I did over 550 wow. interviews. I think for the SNL book, well, there were two two dimes, but it was over 700, and CA was over 500. And then with uh, the Curb podcast, you know, interviewed probably 14 people, like a lot of, you know, hours and hours and hours of stuff. So I think part of it is um, creating a narrative, because it's not just like splicing together stuff. I mean, right. first of all, you have... I do like to write, uh, you know, the interstitials are really important because they're the connective tissue in the narrative. But I think, you know, looking at this entire, uh, you know, kind of like all this, all this material that uh, has been assembled through these interviews and saying, okay, what's the story that I want to tell? 
How, where, where, is the, where is the story here? What is the narrative? Um, what kind of uh, places uh, in, in this history de- deserve more time? What, what, what maybe gets voted off the island? You know, uh, right, right. I always have an outline going in, and then I think t- to specifically answer your question, I think one of my favorite things is when you get these delicious surprises in the reporting, either actual interviews or just the reporting that I do around it, that say, oh, you know what? I thought I thought this was going to be, you know, pretty significant based on you know what we in the public have known. It turns out that wasn't even right. It wasn't that. It was this. And lo and behold, I found you know this, this, and this in the reporting of the interviews. And so now, you know, you get to talk about something that's really um, new for people, and uh, and that's fun to write about and to uh, you know to make sure people. Uh, here, but the podcast has been pretty cool because obviously, um, while it's kind of like a page out of uh, out of my uh, sorry, no pun book in terms <laughs> of uh, you know the way uh, trying to do stories, um, actually having the the people talk and hearing their voice and uh, yeah. and, and the way that they process thoughts, um, you know, in that raw kind of manner has been uh, a lot of fun. So. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's, 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 it's really been, it's, it's been great. Uh, you know, as a guy who loves to do oral histories, I, I will, I will say this about Jim's books, any of them, SNL, ESPN, CAA. If you love oral histories, uh, give give a try to the audiobook versions of those books because uh, they're very good at, uh, at giving oral histories, uh, via audio, uh, kind of similar to podcast and, uh, uh, and I agree with you. Absolutely. Getting to hear the voices of the other people. Uh, it's a treat. Uh, I guess it's a treat for you too, but it's definitely a treat for the listeners. Yeah, no, it's been fun. I mean, I get sometimes get bummed out if uh, all of a sudden, like with some of these people, you know, they're 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 saying yes to me even though they're doing a movie or they're doing a TV show or something. So, uh, you know, some sometimes it has to be done over the phone, which is of course a great fallback for the pod. But sure. um, nothing's better than actually sitting down and being able to bang away at it in person. So, um, it's been good. Yeah. So, um, I, I think it was, it was your call. It was you that wanted, uh, the, the, the chapters to come out in binge mode with all the episodes available at the same time. And, uh, I'm just wondering if you, if you have, you know, n- now that the podcast has been out for a few weeks, do you, do you have any insight on, on what you think about that and how that went? Oh yeah. I mean, look, uh, hats off to, uh, the gang at, uh, Cadence 13 because, I threw them a loop, you know, like probably three weeks before we launched. Four weeks, I was, uh, you know, I think it was one of like one of those three twenty in the morning things, and just saying, <laughs> rather than release an episode a week, um, let's just do it. And it's been great because people, um, you know, through my website or on Twitter or whatever, have talked about. Um, <laughs> one guy said he he uh, he delayed his. Uh, 10 hour car ride to, to when the pod came, came out so he could uh, have it on the, on the ride. And people talk about, you know, listening to it on plane rides, and stuff like that. So um, I think the feedback is, has uh, justified or confirmed the, um, the instincts, you know, the, the drove the decision. And uh, I, I, you know, I can tell you from experience that if you if you are a big curb fan and, uh, and you want to, and you want to plow through the uh, the podcast uh, on uh, origins on uh, on Curb uh, b- uh, before Sunday night. 
you can do it. Uh, they're, they're, or after. You, or after, either way. But no, I think you, kidding. I think you've got enough time. You've got enough time to binge on the podcast before, uh, before binging on on the show. Uh, so I, I don't know if, if you're allowed to, but uh, uh, is is the next chapter out in the wild yet? Can you talk about it? Uh, when will it be released, and what it is, or is that still under under wraps? Um, trying to do you know uh, one a month, which is you know um, ambitious and. Uh, you know, look, I'm trying, uh, have, uh, October's, you know, maybe 85% done. So, um, but I have to, uh, I have to wait until, uh, two interviews are completed for, to be able to talk about it because I always, even though, um, I think it's going to be fine. I just, I would never, ever want to, you know, say, Oh, and this is the next chapter. And then somebody, you know, just decides that they can't do it or they're, they go off to uh, Marrakesh to shoot a movie in the desert and they, um, you know, I can't get to them or something. So uh, uh, I apologize. But I, I will say, though, that uh, um, I'm looking forward to the next uh, next four chapters as they're laid out right now because uh, they are in the worlds of uh, what, you know, other worlds besides TV. Um, ah, like movies and sports and nice. uh, uh yeah so uh and a couple others so um yeah part of part of the mission statement of the of of, of origins is to uh is to make sure that you know we, we get involved in 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 different worlds and uh you know I, uh, movies are very important to me and i love the world so um can't wait to get into that so, so is it is it fair to say though there will be another chapter? I can't say what it is because I don't know. But sometime in October that will drop. From your mouth, yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, yes. I I will cross my fingers. Uh, a- a- anything uh, anything about the uh, the 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 curb side of the, the the curb chapter of Origins you want to talk about before before you get out of here? Um, no, I just think that well, the one thing that we're doing with Origins every chapter is. Uh, you know, we have five episodes that kind of tell a story. And then um, we just released this past uh, Wednesday all the individual ones. And I think you mentioned that at the top. But uh, it's just fun, particularly when uh, you get to just hear directly, you know, from one of these people at a time. Um, I mean, J.B. Smooth, my interview with J.B. Smooth was <laughs> amazing because if you were to uh, – just approach it from a grammatical point of view. Um, <laughs> there are no, uh, there are no commas and there are certainly not even <laughs> semicolons, no periods. The guy is just like, it, it's just fantastic. And, uh, and Susie Essman and Ted Danson. And I mean, everybody, uh, I, I must say there was not, I did not feel like there was an interview that uh, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about the guests. Um, they all show why they're, part of this ecosystem and part of, you know, why, why Larry keeps on asking them back. And it's just been, so those individual ones are, uh, you know, pretty cool. And if you don't have time to, you know, listen to an episode of the history part, um, you just feel like hanging out with one of these people. Um, those are, those are there. Or if you listen to it and you want some more, cause there is stuff in the individuals that is not in the episodes. I, right. I should mention that there is, there's a, you know, Bob Einstein, he plays Marty Funkhauser, um, 
he just my interview with him was i don't know over an hour and uh just like richard lewis all of a sudden they'll get on these tangents which i couldn't include in the in the episodes but in the individual pods in the individual interviews um bob bob Einstein tells a story about red fox who he worked with which was just you know ridiculously funny and uh and richard goes off into his um you know, it, somebody said to me it became a therapy session. Um, so it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, so the, the fun, uh, the fun that, uh, Jim and the, and the cast of, uh, of Curb have, it definitely shines strong on the podcast. Can't recommend it, uh, strongly enough. Jim, thanks very much for joining the world's fastest growing sports media podcast for, with that sports TV ratings. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks to Jim Miller for joining the podcast and breaking the news that Katie Dolan said no to the Greedy Show and uh, that it seems likely that Jalen Rose and Michelle Beadle will be moving to New York. Uh, please subscribe to Jim's Origin Series wherever podcasts are available. And uh, I want to encourage this more than I usually would. I have some creative juice myself for the idea of doing narrative-driven podcasts. I love them. Uh, but when I sat down and outlined the script, the calls, the interstitials, the transitions, the editing, etc., I figured it would take about 150 hours of my time uh, to put out a well-done one-hour narrative-driven podcast. And I love doing the podcast. Uh, and I hope it grows enough that someday it'll have enough subscribers to spend 150 hours of work putting together a, an hour of podcast. Today I don't, but I, I do have an appreciation for how much work goes into them. Uh, so subscribe to Origins, and uh, if you're any kind of Curb Your Enthusiasm fan, uh, you won't be disappointed. And you can check out recent podcasts with John Orand of uh, Sports Business Journal and Ryan Glasspiegel of The Big Lead. Golf Channel's Molly Solomon and Rachel Nichols of ESPN's The Jump. You can find all past podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SportsTVRatings.com. Thanks for listening.